Good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Rick is on vacation, and uh, in the decision of figuring out who was going to preach this week, they said, who looks most like him on staff? <laughs> and um, uh, so uh, that's why I'm here. Um, uh, we're not related. I'm not his younger brother. Um, you know, I don't know, I'm trying not to look like him because he's so much older than me. <laughs> you can tell him I said that. It's okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so uh, one of uh, my uh, roles at the church is I have the, uh, the privilege to go on our summer mission trips. Uh, this summer I'm going with our high school mission team to, uh, we're going to Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is uh, hence this shirt. And the, you know, you can see the back, this is the team shirt. I'm wearing this today because I am the only member of the team not in the Voorhees campus uh, being commissioned to go on the mission trip. Uh, instead, I am privileged to be here. Uh, but one of the things uh, that is really neat is there is 99 people uh, being commissioned to go out for our middle school and high school mission teams, uh, the mission trips this summer. Our middle school is going to Kayser, North Carolina, and like I said, our high school is going to Hendersonville, North Carolina, and it's pretty exciting uh, when you think about that. We have 38 middle schoolers and leaders spending eight days together, nine days together, and, and their sole focus is to go and serve those that need help, you know, the poor uh, the handicapped, the elderly, the impoverished, uh, you know, people that just can't help themselves in any way that they, they can serve. And it's not a, it's really cool when you see a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers do this. They're not going in with the, the mindset of, um, all right, we'll do that, but not that. Like that's, you know, it really is, a, we go in with the, what do you need done? How can we serve you? Give us something that no one else is willing to do because we would, that, we know that that would be the greatest way to serve. So we have uh, 38 middle schoolers and, high, uh, and leaders going on the middle school trip, and we have 61 high schoolers and adults going on that trip. And, and, and if you look at the two uh, trips combined, we have 27 adults who are giving up a week of their summer. Uh, some of them are using vacation time from work. Uh, all of them are paying to go on this trip to spend time with middle school and high school students. Seems crazy doesn't it? Especially those of you who have or at one point have parented teenagers. You know that it can be quite challenging. So one of the things when, when I tell people about these trips, they ask, you know, well, why would an adult give up time, money, part of their summer, be away from their family to go on a trip like this. And, and so I share with them, and I said, it's, you know, it's very simple that they understand the impact that this week has on the students that go. It's a life-changing week. They understand the impact of what their service does uh, for not only the students, but in their own lives. And they understand the impact that it has on the people that we're serving. You see, the mission trips are a very others-focused kind of experience. And so that's why uh, people give up their time to be on a trip like that because they are generous. And we are uh, in the second week of our generosity conversation, and Pastor Rick shared last week that, uh, that generosity isn't a wallet thing, it is a heart thing. And so when we talk about the leaders and people uh, that, are, that are going on these trips, it is a heart thing for them. Generosity defined 
seems irrational to the world. It seems countercultural to the world. And as Rick was sharing last week uh, some of these things, he shared two worldviews in irrational generosity. There is the, the worldview that is the world's mindset in which we look down and in. You know, what can I get out of this? What can I do for me? What will benefit me? And we're looking down and inward. And as he was talking about this, my in, uh, initial, uh, what I pictured was like this kind of mindset. You know, your head is down, you're looking inward, and it's all about you. But he said the second mindset, the second worldview, is an out and up. And the idea with that is up, we're looking to God, and out, we are looking out towards others. And, and visually, it's different from this because it's more like this. And that imagery was stuck in my head all week as I was thinking more about that. I'm like, yeah, Rick, you're right. That is irrational. That is countercultural. That is not what the world tells us. And so that's generosity. And he talked last week mostly about the heart, the desire to be generous. This week I want to take us in a slightly next step kind of direction. More about the intention of generosity. Because the intention I see is more of a mindset. So heart is more desire. I, I want to be generous. I desire to be generous. I, you know, that's something that, that I want, that I desire to be. But the mindset is, is next level thinking. Huh, get it? Mindset thinking. Thank you. I know, it wasn't funny, but humor me. Uh, so it's the next level. It's, it's about intent. It's about intention. Um, it's a way of life. It's kind of like for any of you uh, that are, that are uh, sitting around here that are parents, you know, parenting isn't something that just happens, right? It's a, it's a mindset. It's a way of life. When I get up it, on school days to get my kids ready for school, I, I just do it. It's a way of life. I, get, I, I give them breakfast. I make sure that they're dressed. I make sure that they brush their hair. I make sure that they brush their teeth. I make sure that they get dressed. I know I said that twice, but that one's really important. Um, you know, I make sure that they get out of the house and get to school on time because I care. My desire is I want what's best for them, and my intention is to make sure that my actions, which we'll talk about next week, are all matched up. And so as a parent, you know, my mindset, my way of life is to care for my kids and to give them what I feel is best for them. Parenting is so much less about me and so much more about them. I feel the same thing is true not only in our homes, but in the rest of our spiritual lives as well. That generosity is a mindset that it bleeds out of us as being disciples of Christ. It bleeds out of us as being followers of Christ. You know, if you've been to Hope long enough, you've heard the definition of being a disciple. Being a disciple is to be conformed to the image of Christ for, for the sake of who? 
oh, it's, it's almost like that makes sense, right? So by being a disciple of Christ, we are being conformed to the image of the Christ for the sake of others. So if we're truly going to follow Jesus, the end goal isn't about us. Well, that seems odd, doesn't it? Our world doesn't teach us that. Culture doesn't tell us that. For the sake of others, as a disciple, that is our goal. We are always, always blessing others. And uh, Paul, um, not, not you, Paul, um, Paul from Scripture from you know, several thousand years ago, uh, when he wrote letters to all of the churches around uh, the Mediterranean area as he was taking his missionary journeys and, um, and visiting all of these churches and planting churches and, and helping these churches grow, he was sending them letters to encourage them and to challenge them and to teach them and, and to encourage them and to teach them and to challenge them. And in those letters, he gives so much good stuff for them. And all of that applies for today. And so I want to share with you in Romans chapter 12, uh, it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me, it, it, just the first two verses in chapter 12 of Romans. Uh, Paul says this, he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all that he has done for you. I like the NIV version. This is the uh, New Living Translation, which is what my Bible is. I like the NIV version because it says, I urge you. So, like, he's like, really, like, there's some emphasis in the, in the urge, all right? You know, plead, New Living Translation, I like urge better. Let them be, so talking about our bodies, our lives, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So as I read that earlier this week, I, I had jumped over, uh, I was looking at um, multiple versions of, of this verse because uh, the Bible wasn't written in English, uh, it was, uh, the New Testament was written mostly in Greek, and so there's a translation issue. I don't speak Greek, I don't know if you do, um, so that's why we read English versions, but there are multiple versions because multiple people are trying to translate that in the best way possible for us to understand it. And sometimes I jump over to the message version. The message version is um, as simplest everyday conversation language. It may not be the most accurate sometimes, but it helps simplify it. And, and in the message version, verse one says this. So here's what I want you to do. Like, that's a good start for me. All right, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So taking every part of your life, sleeping, eating, going to work, you're walking around everyday life, whatever you're doing, place it before God as an offering. And then he says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. I love the word embracing there. So it's embracing all that God has for you in the midst of you giving all of yourself to God. So you're embracing everything that God has for you in the midst of an others-focused mindset. Uh, last week, uh, a, a Pastor Jeff in the Voorhees campus used the phrase, I bless others because I have been blessed. 
And so I give out of all that was given to me. I bless because all that was blessed out of me. And I wrote that down because, because it really, um, uh, it, it, it kind of, not struck a nerve, but like it really, it, inside I was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I embrace that almost. Uh, I, I understand that. I grasp it. I get that. And when I was reading in, in verse 1 here in chapter 12, when in the message version said, embracing what God does for you, is the best thing that you can do for him. I was like, it just, it really all ties together. So when we embrace what God has for us, we are able to then be focused outward. And then uh, he, uh, Paul continues in verse two. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And to continue the trend, let me share with you what it says in the message. The message version says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. I'm going to read that line again. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit right into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. There's the heart thing right there. Changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's like frameable. Like print that out, hang it on your computer monitor at work. That's good stuff. But he mentions don't copy the patterns of this world. Don't be focused on this worldview. Like what Rick said last week, be up and out with your focus and others' focus and others' mindset. There is so much competition for your heart. There is so much competition for your mind. That if we don't intentionally be focused on others, it's very easy to be focused only on ourselves. Remember, it's a mindset. I love what uh, he talks about in here, which is why we need to be more heart and desire, is he says you need to transform the way you think. And as we transform and begin to look more and more like Jesus. And as we transform and begin to look even more and more like Jesus. And as we transform and begin to look even more and more like Jesus, our intentions change. Because life is more than about us. It's about other people. And I, I remember a conversation I had with somebody a few years back. We were talking about what happens when we align ourselves more and more with where God wants us to be in our lives, when we allow ourselves to be transformed for him, not only do we look like him, but we begin to think the way God wants us to think and think more about what his will is, what his desires are. And when our lives and our minds and our hearts converge with where Jesus wants us, we are a new being. We are transformed. 
and look more and more like Christ. You see, transformation leads to the will of God. And so many people ask, what is it that God wants me to do with my life? Even at the ripe ages of 70 years old, I have heard people say, what is it next that God wants me to do? Well, if every part of our life is in tune with what God wants, if our heart is there and our mindset is there, God's will will be much more obvious to us because it'll be the same things we desire as what God is desiring for us. And then we can allow our actions and our behaviors to follow suit. And I'm not going to talk too much about that because uh, we'll be talking about that next week. So what are the... uh, What are the things that God wants us to embrace? What are the behaviors uh, that God wants us to embrace? Um, I think in... uh, Sorry, that was choppy. Let me start back over. Take a step back. Step over. So Paul talks about behaviors. He talks about what it is that... uh, uh, you know, when we are transformed, what that looks like. And so to figure out what Paul talks about, we jump back to what Jesus said. Because everything that Paul writes about jumps back to Jesus. And so Jesus gives us uh, some indications of what he wants our mindset to look like, what he wants our behaviors to look like, what he wants our intentions to look like. And the easiest way to find that is in uh, Matthew chapter 22. And uh, I have it on the screen behind you. And, and so Jesus is hanging out with a bunch of people, and some Pharisees are there, and they ask him a question. One of the Pharisees says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Basically, what he's saying is, Jesus, what's the most important thing that I should do? You know, what, what kind of mindset should I have? And Jesus responds, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And I picture uh, the, the Pharisees there going, I got this. This is, you know, what I went to school for. This is what I trained all my life for. You know, I, I love God, you know, and that's what I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to all of you, telling you that I love God. But Jesus wasn't done. Jesus says, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, it's others focused. Jesus was helping the Pharisees reorient their mindset to change their thinking. And as he was pouring into their lives, he was helping to transform who they were so that way they could be disciples of him, to grow and being transformed to look more and more like him. But Jesus wasn't done. That wasn't the only, uh, we can be here all day talking about uh, ways that Jesus uh, had taken what Paul said um, to the simplest level. And jumping over to John chapter 15, Jesus again in another teaching moment uh, tells his disciples, he says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And so this is my command. 
love each other. Now, when we read that passage, the, the thing that jumped out to me right away, which I don't know if it, if it struck some of you, but it was in the very beginning, is he says, there is no greater love to, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And, and the initial reading of that, my thought is, wait, so there's no greater love than to die for a friend? Like, well, that seems a bit extreme. Um, and really, I guess we can only do that once. But it, I think that gets lost in translation. In fact, what Paul was saying was that it's a consistent laying down of your life. It's a consistent bowing down to another. Um, the actual translation is to be horizontal. You know, like kind of the, the act of, of bowing down. It's submitting yourself to others. It is having a me last mentality. Hey, on our mission trips, and you know, I referenced that in the, in the very beginning, on our mission trips, we have a phrase that we use. The phrase is, choose to be last. And we even shorten it because that's too many words for high schoolers. <laughs> Middle schoolers are still learning how to read. Um, <laughs> but we shorten it, and we just say, me last. And we encourage them, you know, on this trip, how can you choose to be me last? So when we get in line for dinner, being me last means letting every other person go before you. Which is funny when you have a bunch of people embracing that, like, no, 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 you go. No, no, you go. No, no, I'm trying to be me last. You can't let me, you know. But how do you choose to be me last is putting others consistently before you, putting another person's needs ahead of you. And as we, as on the very first night of the trip, we always have the same conversation ab about this idea. And one of, the, one of the things I always stress is, so there's 60 people in this room. Look around. You have some, you have some friends, some peers. You have uh, people that are on your team that you haven't really gotten to know yet. Uh, you have some people on other teams that you haven't gotten to know yet. Uh, you have some leaders that are here, some adults that, uh, that by the end of the week, you're going to be really close with. But look around, there are 60 people here. Would it be better for you if you had 59 of the people in this room focused on looking out for you rather than you spending your whole focus looking out on yourself? So you have 59 eyes, 59 hearts caring for you, 59 people looking out for you. Isn't that better than you looking out for yourself? I mean, I'm a math person, and that seems like 59 is greater than one. So if we have a focus on looking out and caring for each other individual person on this team and truly intending to do so, the impact of that is far greater than if we're all focused down and in. And so I believe that is what Jesus was saying when he said that there's no greater love than to lay down one's life. There's no greater thing than to love each other. And Jesus even uh, it says in that passage that if we do so, we will go and produce fruit. We'll go and produce fruit, which really is uh, the heart of the message next week. There's a, I'm going to wrap up with a, with a story that I want to share with you. Um, 
uh, April 11th, 1912, there was a ship uh, called the Carpathia. The Carpathia was uh, captained by Arthur Rostrin, and I'm sure I botched his last name, but we're going to go with that. Uh, this ship was leaving uh, New York City. Uh, it left port on April 11th, uh, sometime in the afternoon, with very little fanfare. Um, there were 700 passengers on the ship, uh, mostly uh, elderly Americans and, and people who were, had immigrated to, uh, to America were heading back to their homeland uh, for vacation, for visit, that kind of thing. It was just a passenger ship. They were heading to uh, uh, Trieste, Italy, and I'm sure I botched that, even though I went to Google uh, pronunciation for that one. Um, uh, so this was a, a, a very long venture, because back in early 1900s, a transatlantic ship, it took a little while to, to get across uh, the Atlantic Ocean. So they begin their venture out. Three days later, they get a distress call at 12.15 a.m. from another ship. And the captain, who had just gotten ready, ready to go to bed, uh, catches this distress call and immediately decides to turn the ship around and head towards the, uh, the origination of where this distress call was coming from. In the midst of turning the boat around, they woke up every single coal shoveler and uh, engine mechanic to get them to work, to get the ship moving as fast as possible to go and help the survivors from this distress call. They added extra workers uh, and watchers out on the, uh, the deck of the ship to watch for, because this is at 12.15 a.m., they had to watch for ice and any other things in the, in the water to make sure that they didn't hit anything. This ship, uh, their, their sole focus from the minute they got this distress call was focusing on helping the people in need of this other ship. Everyone jumped to help. In fact, what they did was they decided to limit the amount that they, of energy that they were using on other areas of the ship to put every effort into making the ship get to uh, this, this distress as quickly as possible. The Carpathia, which had a top speed of 15 and a half, 14 and a half knots, was knots because their focus was to go and help people as quickly as possible. In doing so, in, in maxing out their speed, uh, they actually had to cut the hot water in the rest of the ship, and they began to cut most of the heat. And the passengers in uh, the comfy uh, confines of their rooms uh, quickly took notice that, that the rooms got cold quickly. And so as they began to emerge from their rooms uh, asking what was going on, uh, it, they were informed of, of what the ship was going to do, that they were going to help survivors, that the passengers these tourists and elderly Americans who were heading for vacation or uh, for this journey all jumped to action. Many gathered blankets. Many helped cook soup and uh, prepared hot beverages. Many of them prepared their rooms to house survivors. They turned all three dining rooms on this ship into triage units in case there were people who were injured and needed immediate medical attention. 
three and a half hours after the distress call came, the Carpathia arrived at the location and in the midst of the wreckage, were able to find 705 people and pull them aboard. There was no other survivors from the wreckage of the Titanic that day. But because of the efforts of the Carpathia, those 705 people survived. The next ship that arrived had arrived many hours later, and it was believed that there was no chance those 705 people would have survived out in the cold, wet temperatures in the middle of April. So when they climbed on board and they got the, the last person that had breath in their lungs onto that ship, they continued to search the area to make sure that there was no one left behind. And once they're, uh, once they're, uh, they're gathering up of the survivors had concluded, the captain was left with a choice. Do we continue to head to, to Trieste? Or do we find another place to dock? And this ship that did not have a capacity for 1,500 people decided, we're going to head to New York City because it is the safest location and closest location to get people back to safety. And so after three more days of journey, this ship that left with very little fanfare from New York City was greeted with reporters, with family members, with people in the city that were just excited to see the ship that had saved so many. And these people and this crew and the businesses that they represented chose to put others first rather than continuing their journey eastward. I heard this story for the first time last week. And I was blown away because I was like, that is the ultimate story of others first. That is the ultimate story of a me-last mentality. It is the ultimate story of having an other's mindset. And so I want to challenge you as, as you leave from here. As you go about your week and as you uh, venture into the rest of your, uh, how did Paul put it in Romans chapter 12? Your ordinary everyday life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and you're walking around life. Will you choose to live that life with a generous mindset? Will your life be focused on the benefit of others? And will you choose to be last? Let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll have the band come up and lead us in a final song. So Jesus, I pray that that be our mindset today. That that would be our mindset moving forward. Because, Lord, I know that the reason that this campus started was with a focus for others. So that many would come to know you and to love you. And so I pray that our lives would be generous towards that goal. 
that like Rick said last week, that, that our desire, the desire of our heart would be there. But I pray, Lord, that we take the next step and that our intent will be there as well. And Lord, I know that when those two things are in place, it leads to our action. And I pray that as we finish this series up next week, that our actions will be in line with that mindset as well. So Lord, go with us as we leave here and as we continue in our ordinary everyday life, our sleeping, our eating, our going to work, and our walking around lives. And may our focus be on loving others.